We're going to do something a little bit different today. Uh, many of Jesus' sermons or statements are just sort of like arrows right to your heart. Uh, there's black and white. Here they are, and this is what this means. Uh, such statements as, do unto others as you would have them do unto you, or where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Or what do you think if you just love people who love you, what good is that? What reward will you get for doing that? Everyone does that. And, and I sort of have a heart for that kind of preaching. Uh, many preachers that you hear always have three points, you know, one, two, and three. Uh, you rarely hear that from me. I normally have one point that I want to make. However, today we're going to be looking at a parable. And when Jesus chose to tell parables, what he was doing was, was just opening up a world of possibilities. He tells these stories that have so much meaning to them that it's really difficult to say this is what that parable means. Because once you get inside the parable, there's so much that it can mean. So today we're going to read this parable and then we're going to walk around in it. And you may leave here saying, well, what was it that Tommy was trying to say? Well, this, today Tommy's not trying to say something. We just want to get you inside the parable. Let it speak to you and let you hear the truth that you need to hear today from this story. Let's be standing, please, and read this, the parable that always has been called the parable of the wheat and tares or weeds. Uh, it's not one of Jesus' most well-known stories, but in my opinion, one of his most powerful He put before them another parable. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to someone who sowed good seed in his field. But while everybody was asleep, an enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and then went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared as well. The slaves of the householder came to him and said, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? Where then did these weeds come from? He answered, an enemy has done this. The slave said to him, then do you want us to go and gather them? But he replied, no, for in gathering the weeds, you would uproot the wheat along with them. Let both of them grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, collect the weeds first Bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. May God bless the reading of his word. For those of you who've never seen it, that is a portion of the Garden of Eden. That is a ministry of Rust Street and largely of this church in which uh, produce is grown to be distributed through the Rust Street Ministries. I believe this year, Bob, are we up close to 3,000 pounds so far that's been distributed? Preachers count count were 3,000 pounds. (laughs) We hit 4,000 last year, but we weren't having a drought last year. And what this is, people go out and they have plots in the garden and they grow produce and they can keep up to half of what they grow and give half away. But everyone I know, it's more like 90-10. We take about 10 home with us and enjoy a few fresh vegetables and about 90% of it then goes on to Rust Street and is distributed there. It's been a wonderful ministry. This is a picture that Doug knows well. This is the melon patch in the uh, Rams of Christ, Rams for Christ. 
Christ segment of the Garden of Eden. And they are producing some of the sweetest cantaloupe right now that you have ever eaten. I saw on the news the other night, they were talking about the people out at Wall that grow the cantaloupe saying that, that the drought is really kind of good if you can irrigate the cantaloupe because it concentrates the sugar in them. And so that they have been excellent. And we appreciate so much our university students that go out and work in that. Uh, this is John Broadway's garden. I wanted to show it to you because if you know John, everything is in a straight row. All right, and everything is well manicured, and it is probably the most perfect garden out there, uh, just simply because that's the kind of heart he has and the kind of organization he has. This is my black-eyed pea patch, and it is pumping out the peas right now. Uh, I didn't know if it was going to make any peas or not, and we can't keep up with picking the peas. And it is wonderful. It's just We have really been blessed uh, by the amount of black-eyed peas that have come out of this pea patch. Now, one thing I want you to notice in this and the other uh, slides that I showed you, uh, one thing is missing from these garden plots. What is it? Weeds. That's right. Now, you can go and find some weeds if you look hard, but for the most part, we don't have weeds out there. And it's not because weeds didn't come up. But it's because of the dedicated work of the people on these plots that they are out there weekly, sometimes many times during the week, and they're down on their hands and knees crawling around pulling up those weeds because we know that if we let the weeds continue to grow, we're not going to make much produce because the weeds will grow taller, the weeds will choke out the good plants, and we got to get rid of them. And we also know that we have to get rid of them early. Because if we allow them to go to seed, then you're going to have much many more weeds. And plus, next year, it's just going to be almost a battle you can't win if you allow the weeds to be there. So that is a part of gardening. That's a part of farming. That if you're going to grow good crops, you've got to be vigilant in keeping those weeds out. Now, that's why when we hear this story that Jesus told, that some alarms kind of go off in our head. And we wonder if Jesus knew much about farming, if he says, no, we're going to let the weeds just stay there. Well, we need a couple of background things, I think, to really begin walking around and unpacking this particular parable that Jesus told. First of all, I thought it was interesting that sowing weeds in someone's patch of wheat or crop was a kind of common way of getting revenge back in those days. You know, to to us, this sounds kind of strange. Well, who would go out and put weed seed in someone else's field? Well, evidently, people, when they got mad at each other, they would do this because there was a law that the Romans had to pass and put on the books that this was illegal to do. Now, this is what people were doing to get back at others, and so they had to pass a law to make it illegal to do that. Corby, you, I know that's probably not a law you'd want to have to enforce, would it? Yeah, but, but still, it was illegal to do that. And, and also, another thing we need to know is that the weed that Jesus is talking about here is a very specific weed. He uses a specific term. And in our old translations, in fact, they were translated tares, weren't they? But this is the bearded darnel weed. And the reason that this weed was particularly difficult was that when it first came up, it looked exactly like wheat. And you could not, not the best farmer could go in and tell the difference in the very young plant between what is wheat and what is weeds. 
And it doesn't really reveal itself as being a weed until it gets up tall enough and begins producing seed. And then the difference is obvious, but by then it's too late. I have a picture here, and it didn't turn out very well, but this is mature darnel on the left and mature wheat on the right. And obviously, if you can see those pictures, there is a difference there. And you would know that, that you've had problems. You've got all this, these weeds, this darnel in your wheat. But what can you do about it? Because by now, the root systems of the weeds are so intertwined with the root system of the wheat that if you go in there and try pulling them up, then you're really in trouble. I have a little bit of this trouble with my black-eyed peas. We have some careless weeds that get right in there with the peas, and I try so hard, and I've pulled up several pea plants trying to get the weeds up. You can imagine in a wheat field that has just been sown what kind of difficulty that would be. Another thing about darnel that's so bad is that it's very toxic, and that if you happen to get some of the seeds mixed in with your wheat, it can make you sick. And so it was just a terrible dilemma to be in to have this wheat field that is so infected with all of these weeds. Well, now we can begin to understand why Jesus told the story the way that he did. A guy goes out, he plants good seed, and everybody's all excited about this wheat crop that's going to come up. But in the meantime... One night, an enemy goes out and throws this weed seed, the darnel seed, out there amongst them. Well, when it first starts coming up, it looks like a great crop. But sooner or later, the field hands that are out working in it begin to realize as the plants begin to mature that this isn't all wheat. And so they go run into the master of the field and say, what are we going to do? Do you want us to go start pulling these weeds? And he says, you can't do that now. Because as you're pulling these weeds, you're going to pull up the wheat and we won't have anything. The only thing we can do is just to let it all grow together. And then when the harvest comes, we'll send out the reapers and they'll go out and I'll tell them, first of all, now you go pull up the weeds, keep them separate, remove them. They will be destroyed and then gather the wheat into my barn. Well, we can understand then maybe the logic of it if we have a little bit of the background. Well, after Jesus told this parable, well, then he went into a house and sat down with his disciples, and his disciples came up and said, well, you know, we've kind of understood that story, but we don't really know what you're trying to say here. Would you give us an interpretation of it? Here's Jesus' interpretation quickly of the parable of the wheat and the weeds or the tares. One is he says the sower is the son of man, identifying him, the sower is himself, of course. And he says the field is the world and the good seed are children of the kingdom. They're, they're the people that are in the kingdom of God, the people that have been made righteous by the Lord. The weeds are children of the evil one, and the evil one, the enemy, is the devil, Satan, the adversary, the one who fights against what is good and what is right. The harvest is the end of the age, the end of the world, and the reapers then are the angels. And so he says that the, what it means is that at the, by the end of the age, at the end time, the evil will be separated out, and that the evil and the evil ones will be destroyed and the righteous will be gathered into the barn or into the kingdom of heaven. Well, now we've got the parable down. Let's spend just a few minutes and walk around inside of it. The amazing thing is that this parable teaches several different lessons. Which one is the right one? That depends on you. Which one you need to hear. 
It also works on several different levels. Let's first of all look at some of the lessons that are taught by this parable. Lesson number one is the source of evil. We always wonder, well, where did evil come from? Well, here Jesus is identifying at least one source of evil, that there is a personified enemy of God in this universe, loose in this world, and that that personified evil one wants to destroy what is good. He fights against God, and when God does something good, he's right there to throw evil in the midst of it as well. And for us to have a proper understanding of the way this universe works and the way this world works, we have to not only believe in a God who is good and loving, but we have to realize that there is this powerful force in the universe, in this world, that is fighting against that good. And we can give him several names that the Bible gives him. Satan, the devil, the adversary, the enemy. Another thing that this parable tells us is, One of the reasons, at least, why God does not just do something about the evil right now. Anyone ever ask that question? Why doesn't God just do something about all this? Things are wrong in the world. There's evil in the world. Well, this parable may not give the full, complete answer. There may be other reasons as well. But one of the reasons that God is not addressing the evil in the world right now is that the evil is so intertwined with the good that it cannot be separated and removed without being harmful and destroying to the good as well. You may think, well, I don't know. Well, think about it. What would happen if God destroyed everything that is evil in this world? Then what would it look like, and how would it continue on, at least in the present age, as it does now? There's also a little subset of that is, that in this story of the weeds and the wheat, that initially you can't really tell the difference. Any of you ever been fooled by something that you thought was good and you find out later on that it was bad? Or maybe something that you thought was bad and sooner or later you realize, you know, I was misreading that. I was misreading that person, perhaps. That evil and good are sometimes hard to distinguish. And that evil and good have become so intertwined in our world that it's really difficult to deal with one without damaging the other. Another one of the lessons that's learned here is that evil will someday be destroyed. And we forget this promise sometimes. Sometimes we can just get so frustrated whenever we see the things that are going on around us and we're calling out to God, do something about this. Well, we forget that God's faithful promise is that it will be dealt with that evil will not go unpunished. Whenever we see things happen in our, in our world and we wonder why someone gets away with something or they're allowed, well, the promise is they're not gonna get away with it. It will be addressed and evil will be punished. Evil will be destroyed. Well, those are some of the lessons, but then at what level do we apply them? And this is really where this parable begins to work on me and with me. For example, if you interpret this parable just simply in terms of the whole world, then we begin to understand a little bit about, as we've been talking about, why evil and good seem to be so intertwined with each other. But it also becomes a parable of hope because it tells us 
that truly the things that we hate the most and that have impacted our lives the most, that they are going to be addressed in the end. I don't know, what is it about this world that that you are most offended by and outraged by? Is it the terrorism that's going on right now and and we just, you know, go through in our minds and wonder these people that are producing all this chaos and we know that they're driven by a philosophy that that is not going to be easily changed and, and, you know, what are you going to do with that? What are we going to do about those who are so set on bringing harm to others? Well, you know, we, we try to address it now. And, and many of the other Jesus, other parables talk about facing up to evil and dealing with evil. But this parable comes in as well and says, but you know, it's a long battle that's not ever going to be finally addressed completely until the end, but it will be then. Is it the hatred in the world that you're around? And is it the greed that causes hatred and violence in the world? I don't know what it is that you're offended by, but I hope you receive some, some, some peace from the Word of God in promising that that evil that you hate so much and that has perhaps impacted your life the most will one day be addressed. But you know, most scholars that look at this parable say that the parable is really more about what's going on within the community of faith itself. That it's really more about the church itself. And that Jesus is telling us, don't be surprised that even within the kingdom and within those who profess to be a part of the kingdom, that you are going to find evil as well. That in God's field... That the, that the enemy has even been able to infect the hearts of some who look good. But there is really evil there. Now, that can be kind of disheartening to know that, that even in, in God's people, that evil has infected hearts and has infected uh, the, the, the group that, that proposes to champion his cause and to, to lead. But in another way, It's also kind of a message that it's time for us to embrace that and accept it. I used to work with, when I was an associate minister, the senior minister, I would go running to him, wringing my hands, and say, oh, you know, this is terrible. I wanted to do this, but I can't get this person to do that. And this person won't. And his message to me was always, grow up. I didn't like hearing that. Grow up. This is the way it is. And once we begin to work with that and realize that, then it really begins to make a lot more sense. Because for one thing, we're not as good as we think we are at identifying good and evil. It's not that easy to tell. And sometimes we've got someone labeled as bad when maybe they're not. And another thing about the kingdom of heaven is that sometimes... We give up too quickly on someone because in the kingdom of heaven, the weeds can eventually become wheat. For example, God's people back in Jesus' day, and Jesus was telling this parable for a very specific reason to specific people. There were people that were not allowed to come into worship with God's people because they were bad people. You know who one of those people was that was not allowed to come and worship with God's people because they were evil and they didn't want any weeds in the crop? One guy's name was Matthew. 
what was the name of this book we just read? Oh, yeah, Matthew chapter 13. Hmm. What if Jesus had said, we're just going to pull you up and throw you away because you're evil and you're bad? What about a tax collector named Zacchaeus? Remember when nobody liked Zacchaeus because he was evil and bad and nobody thought that he could do anything and be a part of God's people? But Jesus did. What about the thief that hung on the cross next to Jesus? 99.9% of his life was worthless, probably. We don't know a lot about the man, but we know he had done enough to get the capital punishment, uh, you know, execution. And as he hung there on the cross, just for that last few brief moments, his heart turned to God. He had grown up a weed all his life. And I tell you what, if you don't end up spending eternity with that thief that hung on the cross next to Jesus, it won't be because he's not there. But so many people probably had turned their backs on him. Archibald Hunter wrote a book on the parables of Jesus, and when he got to this parable, he recorded a little ditty that I think is very helpful to us as we come and try to be a part of God's church. He says, there is so much good in the worst of us, there's so much bad in the best of us, that it hardly becomes any of us to talk about the rest of us. We have to come to that knowledge and to that understanding. Another guy that I think a lot of, a preacher up in the Northwest, in the Washington area, wrote this little paragraph. He says, when I was a young man, during my seminary days of training to become a minister, my ideal congregation was one called the Church of Our Savior in Washington, D.C. He said, my peers and my friends, we talked about that church. We talked about how we wish so much we could be a part of a church like that. It was a small congregation of only about 200 people. And it was very restrictive in who could be a part of that congregation. Because you had to sign vows to be a part of that congregation. When you wanted to become a member, you had to apply for membership, and you had to sign vows that you would give a tenth of your income, a tenth of everything you had to God, that you would attend Bible study every week, that you would pray every day, that you would be politically active to, to promote causes for the poor, and they patrolled it and inspected your life. And every year you had to re-up. And if you were found not to be keeping your vows, you were asked to leave. And these young ministerial students thought, wow, to have a church like that, to have a church that's all wheat, to have a church that's on fire for God, where everybody's working for the Lord, everybody cares. That was their goal. However, he continues, That was my ideal community in those younger years, but not anymore. Maybe I've matured. Now, I want a community that's wide open to everyone, including the uncommitted, the half-committed, the lukewarm, the confused, the puzzled, the materialist, the messed up, the addicted, the afflicted, I want a community where we're all welcome. We want weeds in our wheat of the church. I am no longer sure 
which is which and who is who as I used to be because I know now that the church is a garden where weeds can become wheat. As we think about these things, we realize the next level that we need to think of, this parable in terms of ourselves. We know that not one of us in this room is a wheat field filled with wheat, that there's weeds in our lives, that there's evil in our lives. We know that if God were to come and to destroy all evil in the world, we don't even want to think about that, do we? Because the line between good and evil runs right down the middle of each one of us. Paul struggled with this in Romans chapter 7 when he talked about how he wanted to be all good, but it just didn't work that way. And each one of us, on a regular basis, open our mouths and say something, and we think, where did that come from? We can be Dr. Jekyll, and then the next moment we're Mr. Hyde. And we just wonder, where did that impulse come from? Where did that desire come from? What happened here? I thought I had that in check. I thought I had my temper in check. I thought I had my lust in check. I thought, I thought and the evil is still there. And that's when this parable becomes a parable of hope and a parable celebrating the patience of God. And we are so thankful that God is allowing us to grow until harvest. Because we can look back in our lives and see things that we once had in our lives that are gone now. And we celebrate that God has worked with us and has removed those things from our lives. And we're so glad that evil that once was there is no longer there and is no longer a problem. But we look forward to his continuing work for us and with us to remove the continuing evil that we still deal with. Last week, I don't know if you picked up on it or not, but we read as our Old Testament reading, Isaiah chapter 55, verses 10 through 13. I want to start in verse 12. And think about these verses in this context. For you shall go out in joy and be led back in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall burst into song, and all the trees of the fields shall clap their hands. Isn't that a wonderful thing? It just shows you going out, and the whole of nature is going, yay you, <laughs> you know, yay Tommy, yay everybody. Look at this, how wonderful thing. Well, what are we celebrating? Here's what we're celebrating. Because instead of a thorn, now is growing a cypress, and instead of a briar, now is the myrtle. I don't know if that strikes you like me. But there is the celebration of all of God's creation that though there was once thorns and briars, that something beautiful is now growing in your heart and in the heart of all of those who have come to our Lord. Oh, we celebrate this parable because we recognize in it that evil and good, that's very complicated. And we're complicated ourselves. We celebrate that God is patient and God understands, and that God is going to grow a harvest of wheat, and that those who are made righteous by his power will one day be gathered into his barn.
I don't know where you are right now. I know that you have to have identified with some of these things that are said in this parable. But if you're struggling right now with something that needs to be removed, the power of God is available for you. We invite you to come. But if you just simply want to celebrate this morning, that something that was once dark and ugly and harmful and toxic has been removed by our Lord, then smile and celebrate and give thanks for his patience, that he understands evil, he understands good, and most of all, that he understands you. Let's stand and sing.